Welcome to Season 3 of Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and unpack it into relatable concepts. I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newham. Yes, this is the beginning of Season 3, during which we'll focus on general questions about plastic surgery that the public, and in particular those who are considering a procedure, might have. You may recall that the episodes in the first two seasons were more specific to individual procedures, season one being focused on cosmetic surgery and skin care, and season two concentrating more on reconstructive surgery. So this season, we'll start with a really common question people have, but they may be reluctant to ask, and they're not quite sure whom to ask. And that is, what really happens in the operating room? Well, I want to tell you all about it so your mind can be put at ease and you'll be in the know. We'll go over what you would find in the OR, who you would find in there, and why. We'll also go over the patient flow, if you will. Then you'll have an idea of what you might expect to experience, all the way from entering the building to leaving after recovery. And we'll finish with a couple of additional questions that everyone seems to want to know, including whether they'll be naked. So let's get started. But please remember that this podcast reflects my experience and my opinion. It is not intended to give formal medical advice, but instead you can use it to gain insight, whether you're planning a procedure or you're just curious. So settle in for a listen and enjoy. Early records of an operating room setting date back at least to ancient Roman times, but likely the concepts began even prior to that. Though often, surgical procedures were not performed in a consistent place, and they frequently may have occurred in the patient's home. In the 18th century, the concept of an operating theater was introduced, and it was a place where an operation would occur not only for the benefit of a patient, but also for education, and sometimes even for entertainment of spectators. But in modern times, our concept of an operating room is one where a skilled and streamlined procedure is performed by a very professional team in a sterile environment. Yet the details surrounding this experience are often a mystery for the patient and therefore a potential source of anxiety. So let's see if we can remedy that, shall we? These days, an operating room can take on a number of different forms spanning from a simple dedicated room in a surgeon's office for more minor procedures to rooms in a specialized freestanding outpatient surgery center to a large designated area in a hospital, all equipped with the latest technology. And for our purposes in this episode, we'll focus on the experience in the latter two, though of course there are lots of variations in between these three mentioned categories of ORs. In general, the thinking is that performing surgeries in a specific location with regimented protocols will provide the most efficient way to serve patients and help reduce the risk of infection or other complications while maximizing chances for good outcome. Inside the average operating room, we find it very clean and sterile looking with bright lights for best vision during the procedure and an operating table that is the focal point of the room. Multiple machines and monitors are present as well to help take the best care of the patient. And we also find multiple sterile and specialized instruments to be used for the procedure that in fact were opened and laid out just for that particular procedure, whatever it may be. Now I'd like to take just a minute here and discuss with you the concept of sterility since I'm mentioning it a lot and it's important for minimizing infection. 
the goal of sterilizing something is to kill any bacteria or microorganisms present, which might otherwise induce infection after surgery. This doesn't completely eliminate the risk of infection, but it helps greatly. And even though many centuries ago scientists started to discover bacteria, it wasn't until well into the 1800s that the medical world widely accepted that microorganisms, like bacteria, were actually the cause of infections, bringing to light the concept that sterile technique could help avoid them. Instruments and supplies generally have to be sterilized in order to be used during an operation. That means they've been treated to kill any bacteria that might normally be residing on them. The reusable items in the operating room, such as metal instruments, are routinely sterilized between each case, often with high temperature heat using a special machine called an autoclave, which uses steam to do the job. Any disposable supplies used are typically sterilized by the company that manufactured them, possibly by heat, gas, high pressure, chemical agents, or irradiation. And these supplies come in special packages that confirm their sterility right on the label. Many things used in the operating room are actually disposable, as a further effort to try to reduce the risk of infection. There are special techniques that the operating room staff use to transfer the instruments and supplies to what is called the sterile operating field. The operating field means the draped out surgical site on the patient, as well as the draped out sterile table and trays that are used by the surgeon and anyone else assisting in the operation. Draped out just means that sterilized drapes made out of cloth or woven strong paper have been used to cover something. Quite a bit of training goes into learning this transfer process. And by the way, the surgeon and surgical staff also have to be wearing sterile attire such as gowns and gloves during surgery. As you might expect, there is a protocol for how to put these on without accidentally contaminating them in the process. Yes, a bit of a learning curve is required to get it just right. So, those TV dramas you've seen with the surgeon pulling down their unsterile mask during a procedure to talk to someone? Nope, that would not fly in a real OR. All right, next let's talk about whom you might find in the operating room. For a standard surgery, there are typically four people in the operating room besides the patient, though this number can vary. Of course, you can guess the first one, who is the surgeon, but who else? Well, secondly, if there is going to be some type of formal anesthesia involved, beyond just a straight local injection to numb up an area, then also present would be either an anesthesiologist, who is a doctor, or a nurse anesthetist, who administers anesthesia but is supervised by a physician. The anesthesia staff takes away the patient's worry during the case because their sole focus is the complete comfort and health of the patient during the operation. They monitor your blood pressure, breathing, heart rate, and even brain function, if it's a general anesthetic. They've got your back. The third person, called the scrub, is the right-hand person, so to speak, for the surgeon. A scrub can either be a nurse or a specialized scrub technician. They are scrubbed in with the surgeon and are in charge of handing the proper instruments and suture to the surgeon at the appropriate times, as well as assisting with the surgery as directed by the surgeon. They typically are familiar with the surgeon's protocol and preferences and therefore help to streamline the procedure and make it more efficient. By the way, the word scrub is a reference to the process that the surgeon and any assistants have to go through in terms of cleaning their hands and forearms before sterile gowns and gloves are placed. Once again, there's a special protocol for this. And lastly, the fourth person in the operating room, particularly during a larger surgery, is the circulator. The circulator is usually a nurse, and they're in charge of keeping detailed records during the operation, 
as well as periodically retrieving any additional supplies or medications from outside the operating room, which may be needed during the case. Now that you know what's in the operating room and who is in the operating room, the next step is to talk about what it feels like to be a patient in the operating room. In fact, let's go over the flow of activity the patient experiences when he or she is going to have a surgery performed. After the patient registers and checks in at the facility entry desk, they will be asked to sign a consent form or permission sheet, confirming that they wish to have the procedure performed. Next, they will be taken into an area where they can change out of street clothes and into a patient gown. Then any needed labs or EKG can be performed to make sure they are in good condition to undergo the surgery, and all vital signs, including blood pressure, are checked. An IV is typically started in all but local anesthetic cases. Next, the patient is interviewed by the anesthesia professional, and plans are made for the appropriate type of anesthetic. The surgeon usually sees the patient before going back to the operating room, and any markings which will be helpful during the surgery are made in this pre-op holding area. Also, if a surgery is to be done on a specific body part or one side of the body rather than the other, then a marking indicating such is made at this time to avoid confusion. All final questions are answered as well. Then it's time for the patient to be wheeled into the operating room, typically on a rolling bed or a gurney. Once in the OR, after being greeted by the OR staff, they will be assisted scooting over to the operating table and getting comfortable. Padding can be used for this purpose. The operating rooms are often quite cold since the surgeons and staff wear extra garments to protect and preserve sterility. The lower temperatures help them to not get overheated. Therefore, a warming blanket may be placed on the patient both for comfort and to also help maintain normal body temperature. Actually, studies have shown that maintaining the patient's normal temperature during surgery may reduce infection rates as well. If the patient is going to sleep, such as for a general anesthetic, they may have some compression garments placed on their legs to keep blood flowing and reduce the chance of blood clot formation while lying stationary for a long time. Monitors to watch heart rate, blood pressure, and other parameters are hooked up at this time as well. The anesthesia doctor or nurse will then sedate or relax a patient with intravenous or IV medication. If this is a general anesthetic case, then a breathing tube will be placed after the patient is asleep, and the IV anesthetic can then be converted to an inhaled or gas version. After this, the surgery itself is ready to begin. The area of the body that is to be operated on is uncovered while protecting the patient's privacy. This uncovered area is prepped, meaning it is prepared by cleansing with special antiseptic or soap to help kill any bacteria that may be residing on the skin. Then sterile drapes are used to cover the remainder of the body, again only leaving open the area of the body to be operated upon. This helps maintain the sterility we talked about earlier. Before the surgeon makes an incision, everyone in the room participates in what's called a timeout to confirm they are operating on the correct body part, which reduces chances of error. After the surgery has been successfully completed, dressings are applied over the sutured wound and the wake-up process is begun. The patient is transferred back to a gurney cart, then wheeled into the recovery room to make sure they finish waking up safely and completely. The patient probably won't remember that trip due to the effects of anesthesia. In the recovery room, known as the PACU, which stands for Post-Anesthesia Care Unit, a specialized nurse is assigned to and cares for the patient until they are awake enough to leave the unit. After full recovery, someone else must drive the patient home unless it was a straight local anesthetic. 
Depending upon the length and complexity of surgery, some patients may actually stay overnight at the facility and go home the next day. That's usually a decision made prior to surgery. Now, all of this flow of activity the patient I've described is presuming the patient is undergoing a bigger operation. For lesser procedures, the whole process may be streamlined accordingly. Well, let's finish up with three of the more common questions patients wonder about an operating room experience. The first is whether or not they will be naked. That's a tricky one because it can depend on how involved the planned surgery is, but there is a difference between being naked and being exposed. The only body parts exposed are the necessary ones, those that are being operated on and therefore prepped into the operating field. The rest of the body is covered with blankets and then sterile drapes for the triple purposes of patient privacy, patient warmth, and reduction of infection risk from unprepped areas. Even though someone may have a patient gown on, they may have been previously asked to remove their street clothes underneath. One purpose for this is to reduce infection threats from the outside world that their unsterile clothes would introduce. But also, in an emergency situation where the surgeon or the anesthesiologist needs to get immediate access to a body area during a life or death situation, they would only need to get past the gown and not extra layers of clothing, which may be difficult to remove quickly. An added bonus is that street clothes will not get messy with any drainage or, dare I say, blood during an operation. Another common question is whether surgeons play music during surgery. The answer is yes, but it's up to the individual surgeon. While some surgeons require extreme quiet, I would venture to say that most like to have a little background music playing to relax both the staff and themselves and focus a little better. If the surgery happens to be one where the patient can be numbed up but awake, then they can enjoy the music as well. As for what musical genre is played, well, that's up to the surgeon. Dealer's choice. In my OR, I usually liked to mix it up a fair amount to keep it interesting. A little something for everyone. And the last common patient question we'll discuss today is whether there's a risk they will wake up during surgery and feel pain but not be able to communicate it. Rest easy on this one. While there are a few sensationalized stories out in the world that scare people, most anesthesia professionals are excellent at not letting this phenomenon happen. Not only do they have a superb command of the properties and length of action of the various drugs they are using for the patient's anesthesia, they also utilize many different monitors to pick up on what a patient is experiencing before something like this could happen. This often includes a brainwave monitor, which catches any early changes in brain activity before a patient might wake up. So once again, they've got you covered. Well, that's a nice overview of what happens in the OR. Was it what you expected? Hopefully this episode gave you some good insight, which you can either pass on to others or perhaps make use of yourself someday. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.